All right, we come tonight to the end, um, the culmination of all things. We are in the 10th article of the Baptist Faith and Message, and the 10th article deals with last things. Now, you would think the last article would be dealing with the last things, but that's not the way they did it. Uh, what they decided to do was to go through theology, uh, and once they get all the way through the basics of theology, come back and deal with specific issues that have come up in Baptist life and uh, in uh, more modern uh, life and, and try to deal with those according to biblical theology. So the, the article on last things is close to the middle of the Baptist faith and message as opposed to at the end of the Baptist faith and message. But yet, here it is, and so we come to it tonight. Article 10 is the article on the last things. This is what uh, the framers of the Baptist faith and message say. God, in his own time and his, in his own way, will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. The righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. This doctrine of last things we often think of in a little bit too narrow a mindset. We often think of it as solely the end of things, the end of the world, the end of time, the end of this age. We don't often think of it as the beginning of eternity. Like, like eternity future. This is the point where, uh, uh, as one hymn writer puts it, uh, the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. But then he goes on to say, in eternal... Wait, how does he put it? My mind just went blank. Jim, help me out here. You're the hymn guy. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, when the morning breaks eternal, eternal bright and fair. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we, we just sing it all the time. I, I don't know what the song says. <laughs> we often think of it just as the end of things. And then we think of heaven in this, it's almost like this hazy kind of thing. Like heaven is this, either we do one of two things. Either we barely even give it any thought. Or we spend so much time thinking about streets of gold and mansions just over the hilltop and that kind of stuff uh, uh, that, that we almost trivialize it almost make it into a cartoon of what it really is. But when we talk about the last things in Scripture, what we're talking about is not just the end of this world, but the consummation of God's plan. So God has been doing stuff from before the foundations of the world. He has been enacting out a plan ever since the moment that he said, let there be light. He has been working through this world, through this universe, to bring his plan to fruition. And so when we talk about the doctrine of last things, often uh, we talk about it in the term eschatology from the Greek word eschaton, meaning the last things. Um, we're not just talking about how the world ends. We're not just talking about Armageddon. We're not just talking about Jesus Christ wins the end. What we're talking about is the passage from this present world into the next. This is but a prelude. This is the preseason if you will. But then, in the end, in the last time, in, in, in the age to come, that's the main event. And I say that because, what, 
six, ten, twenty thousand years. Let's go with the scientific, um, the 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 estimate of the Big Bang, thirteen point nine billion years. Let's go with that. What is that compared to eternity? How much? So even if you want to give it billions and billions of years, it's still a drop in the hat. It's still a drop in the bucket. It's still just 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 getting started when it comes to eternity. And we actually. It, in the Baptist Faith and Message, this is, this is an article that is so general that it doesn't really matter what particular view you're coming from. As long as it's somewhat scripturally based, you, you can pretty well agree with the statement. Twelve of the 15 members of the, the committee that put the Baptist Faith and Message together were pre-tribulational, pre-millennialist. They come with a very specific hermeneutical mindset when it comes to the eschaton, when it comes to the last things. And yet, they wrote something that an amillennialist could agree with. They wrote something that a postmillennialist could agree with. Because in Baptist churches, we have all of them. We can't agree on anything. We're Baptist. And so they had to make this general enough that all of us could say, yes, that is clear from Scripture. We can certainly assent to that. But actually say something too. Sometimes it can be so general it doesn't say anything. I think they struck a good balance. Look, look at the beginning of the statement. God in his own time and in his own way will bring the world to its appropriate end. Just as God brought the world into existence, he'll take the world out of existence. So it's the threat your mama used to make. I brought you in this world, I can take you out. God actually is going to do that though. He brought the world in and he's going to take it out. He's going to be uh, the one that ends all things. And he's going to do it in his own time. Jesus talks about this all throughout. Uh, it's, it's amazing how much Jesus actually says about the fact that God's going to do it when he wants to do it. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. This is God's doing it. It's God's timing. Nobody knows. A couple verses later, therefore, stay awake. In light of that fact, you need to wake up and you need to stay awake because you don't know when it's coming. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Right? I mean, you get a letter on your door that says, I'm coming at 10 o'clock, signed, thief. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Stay up. Probably probably call the cops. Um, I got this note on my door. Y'all want to come by around 9.55 and check things out? Stay for about 15 minutes just to make sure? You'd be ready, wouldn't you? Therefore, you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. He's coming, and it's in his time. But what's funny about this is it doesn't really matter when. It matters that we're ready, right? But also, there's nothing in here that says he'll do it in his own time, but here's the way he's going to do it. Here's exactly what to look for. Here is the game plan for God to bring the end of the world and, and the full consummation of eternity. That's not what happens. Why not? Because we're people. We don't know. If God had made this clear, everybody would agree on it. Most everybody. Heretics wouldn't, but you know, they're heretics. There's good Christian people that have stark disagreements on how this is all going to go down. And you know why I think God did that? Because I think if he actually shows us what he's going to do, we'd all stand there open-jawed. And, and he, he couldn't get us to do anything because we'd be in shock. We'd be up. Are you serious? We just wouldn't believe it. So he says, you know what? 
I'll keep that to myself. Y'all just be ready. I'm coming. Be ready. Keep working. Do what you need to do. Be ready. You don't know when. You don't know how. But I'm coming. Now, there are certain things we do know. Jesus said to look for certain things. He said, he said that there would be certain signs of the times, right? Okay? That does not mean that everything you see is one of the signs of the times. But that also does not mean that you should just completely ignore all the times. But be ready. This could be it. It may not be for another couple of millennia. Whatever the case is, be ready. I think George Eldon Ladd makes that point in The Blessed Hope. He says, he says the question is not whether he's coming now or later. The question is, are you ready if he comes? And are you ready if he doesn't come? Are you ready? That's the question. There's no statement of a millennial reign of Christ. There's no statement saying that he won't reign for a millennium. There's no statement of when the rapture will happen. If our idea of a rapture is even valid or not, nothing like that. All they say is, it's God's business. He's going to do it how he wants. I think I told the story before of the time I had strep. I knew I had strep. No doubt about it. I knew it before I even went to the doctor. My whole family had strep. I had the same symptoms as them, same progression. I knew exactly what was going to happen. So I walked to the doctor and I told the doctor, I've got strep. Okay? They ran the test because, you know, doctors are like that. They want confirmation. I understand. We don't need to be treating strep if it's not strep, if it's something else. So, yeah, okay, fine. He took the test. I said, test me for strep. I know I have strep, but go ahead and test me just to make sure. Okay? He tests me. And lo and behold, wouldn't you believe it, the test came back positive. I had strep. I actually knew what I was talking about for once. It was crazy. Probably one of the few times in life that's ever happened. Then he got out a prescription pad and wrote the prescription. He wrote it, not, not me. He chose the medicine. He chose the dosage. He signed it. Now, I could have tried to do that myself, but A, I don't have the authority. The pharmacy would have looked at this and looked at mine and said, you're not a doctor. You can't write this prescription. And they would have said, what's your NPI number? And I'd have said, uh, what? Um, BR549, I don't know. Some of y'all know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My dad used to say that all the time. That's the only way I know it. I, I, I don't have an MPI number. What's, what's your Alabama license number? I, I don't have one. Your DEA? Uh, no. I don't have authority to write the prescription. More than that, I don't have a clue what medicine to prescribe. Now, I know now because we've had 50,000 cases of strep in my house in the last 10 years. <laughs> having all these kids, we have tons of strep. It, it, it just happens like that. So I can tell you now what medicines to write it for, and I can tell you probably what the dosage needs to be and how, how often I should take it. But I didn't tell him that. Why not? Because not only did I not have the authority to write it, I didn't have the knowledge to write it. He did. He's the doctor. That's why the doctors are the ones that write the scripts. I basically had to trust him and take the medicine. It was all, it was all up to him. That's how we have to look at things in eschatology. We might have our systems and we might have our beliefs on how we think it's supposed to work. But the fact of the matter is it's God's work. He's the one who's doing it. And so he has the liberty because he's God and he knows what he's doing. And I trust him completely. I'm giving him the liberty to do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it, whenever he wants to do it. And I'm just going to ask him to help me deal with it because that's where the biggest problem comes for me is dealing with the fact that it's not in my control, it's in his. That's how we have to approach this. And that's what they do. 
In the Baptist faith, the message, they say God, in his own time, in his own way, he's got it covered. He'll do it exactly the way he wants, and it'll be the right way. I mentioned uh, Matthew 24, 36, and then 42 through 44. This idea that you don't know the hour, it's God's timing. Many details aren't discussed because there are so many differences of opinion in this topic. But they do talk about a few details that are clear in Scripture. So get away all the rubble of what the books you've read or the ideas that you've had. Let's just look at Scripture, and let's see what Scripture actually says about this. Uh, they say uh, this, According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised, and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. Notice their semicolons and not commas. They're not saying this is the order. They're just saying we know all these things will happen. We don't know exactly how. We don't know what the flow of things is going to be. But we know each one of these is guaranteed in Scripture. Jesus is returning, and we know it. Uh, it would be, well, let's just go through them all. Matthew 26, uh, uh, 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. I, I think Jesus is a pretty good uh, authority figure on this, don't you? Since he is the Son of Man. He knows what he's going to do, right? Mark 8, 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Notice the connection. He's coming in glory. That connection's made in both of those verses. It's also made in Luke 21, 27 and 28. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. In other words, hey, psst, hey, get, hey, here you go. This is when they turn the lights down in the theater. And so you know that they're about to start showing like the previews, which means the movie is coming, right? That, that's, he says, when you see this stuff happen, it's time. Get ready. John 14, 3. He's talking about going to heaven to prepare a place for them. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This is, this is when they, uh, uh, one of the disciples objects and says, but Lord, how can, we, how can we go with you if we don't know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Acts 1.11, angels appear. Jesus has just ascended into heaven. The disciples are all staring up like, he's, like he was going to get his car keys or something and coming right back. And the angels come up and they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Hey, he's coming in the same way. By the way, that, that he, he went up in glory. <laughs> so he's coming back in glory. 1 Thessalonians 4, this is the... This is, this is one of the, the hallmarks of the premillennialist position. One, one of the main verses. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We know that we know that we know that Jesus is coming back. But we also know that we know that we know that the dead will be raised. 
Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. This isn't me talking. This isn't me reading between the lines. This isn't me trying to figure it out. This is God revealing it. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Regardless of what you think of a rapture, regardless of what your position is on when the reign of Christ happens and how the millennium relates to that, if it's a literal millennium or not, regardless of your eschatological views, it says plainly in the text, the dead will rise. You can't argue on that. We know it's happening. Verse 17, then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now, we don't know if we go back up to heaven or come back down to earth. We don't know. There's theories on both sides of that. It doesn't matter to me. I'm with him. Where you want to go, Lord? You pick the destination. I'm just along for the ride. Too bad we don't often enough say that to God. You, you, you just go where you want to. We'll just come along with you. Usually it's God. You need to come over here. Come on, come on, you know, come on. That's usually what we try to do instead of just God. You, you lead, I'll follow. Oh, by the way, verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. That's the whole point of telling this. Hey, hey, build each other up. Encourage one another. That's what they needed. They needed encouragement. That's a pretty encouraging thought. Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Boy, that's an encouraging thought. Watch this training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Now, if you stopped right there, if that's all you read, you would think, okay, so God's grace is what allows us to live godly lives in a very bad situation that we call our current society. Our world is in bad straits. And the only way that we can live the kind of lives that God wants us to live is through His grace. Amen. That's good news. Oh, but it gets better, verse 13. We're talking about the last things. We're not talking about the current things. Waiting for our blessed hope, or blessed if you'd rather, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, all this is while we wait. He's coming back. This is what we do in the meantime. We live lives of grace around those who need it. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. The first time he came to deal with sin, the second time he comes to save those who are waiting for him. Now, he does deal with sin. He does come in judgment. We'll read that in just a minute. Part of these last things are judgment. In fact, the last, the last part of that sentence that we just read a few minutes ago from the Baptist Faith and Message talks about that judgment. And the next couple of sentence will de- sentences will detail that judgment in more detail. But what I want you to see right here is, is Christ is coming back. He's coming in glory. And the dead will rise. He's coming back to redeem finally and completely those he's already redeemed from sin. James 5, 8, also, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. Make them firm, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Revelation 3, 
I'm coming soon. <laughs> I mean, is that not clear? Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. What he's saying isn't just, just you got to hold on to what you got. It doesn't make a difference if you make it or not. He's not singing, he's not singing Bon Jovi here. He's saying, look, you've got me. Hold on to me because I'm coming back. So keep holding. Revelation 22, 20. He who testifies to these things said, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Hurry up, please. But when he comes, as I said just a minute ago, he's coming to judge. The last part of that sentence uh, that we read earlier, Christ will judge all men in righteousness. Look at the next two sentences. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. It is in vogue today for some to just deny that hell exists. God couldn't possibly send people to hell. That's much too mean for such a good God. Thing is, God doesn't, God doesn't send anyone to hell. They send themselves. See, up until this point, he's been holding them back. But in that day, he just removes his hand and they go right to where they've been trying to go all along. Oh, but Lord, we, we knew you. Lord, we followed you. Lord, we served you. No, I never knew you. On the other hand, next sentence, the righteous in their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. There's coming a judgment. And if you look in the Old Testament, you see the judgment in a little bit different terms than what you see it in the New Testament. In fact, you often hear it talked about as a specific Phrase the day of the Lord. Isaiah talks about that judgment. He doesn't use the day of the Lord language, but he says, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes among the peoples, for many people, excuse me. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. There's coming a day when God judges between the nations. There is a judgment coming. Now, in this case, in Isaiah's case, he's looking at it from a very positive standpoint. Joel, on the other hand, looks at it from a very different perspective. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. What he's doing is he's calling the nations to the valley of Jehoshaphat. God will judge. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the wine press is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. The day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion. He utters His voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. The Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. This is not a God to play around with, especially on that day. Amos 5.18 Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. His judgment is severe. Obadiah 15 for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. 
We often talk about this salvation as, not a, as a salvation of faith and not of works. But I'm going to tell you something. When that judgment comes, we are judged by works. Now, some people think that that's a bad thing because, uh, well, wait a minute, you know, God, it's, it's by grace through faith and not of works, right? But what did Jesus say was the work that God called us to do? He said the work is to believe the one he has sent. The work is faith. Everything else is just gravy on top. In that day, the question isn't going to be, did you believe or not? The question is going to be, I know you did believe. What did you do with it? Because that's what's going to determine reward. Or I know you didn't believe. Here's the case against you. We're still going to be judged by works. It's just not, it's just not heaven earned by our works. It's earned by his work and our faith in his work. But all the reward of heaven, that comes from our works. That comes from our faithfulness to serve God. That distinction clear. I want to make sure y'all aren't walking out of here thinking, oh, well, I got to go do a bunch of stuff because I might not make it after all. I, I want to make sure because there are a lot of people that question their salvation and they question it on the basis of I don't have enough works. And I want to make sure that it's not a matter of, of your work that gets you into heaven. It's a matter of your works that determines how that judgment goes. What does God, what, what rewards, what, what place do you get in heaven because of your works? I believe that there are some people who will get by in, into heaven and not have anything to show for it once they get there. And I believe there are others there are others that are going to receive reward upon reward upon reward because they were faithful, obedient servants of God. I don't know what that will look like, whether that's extra crowns or whether that's a bigger mansion or whether that's just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe God is like a military commander and there's all these different medals or something. I don't know. I don't know how God is going to represent that. Maybe you'll be taller if you're, you know. Maybe if you're a liar, your nose is going to stick out. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how God's going to do that. But I can tell you this, as you do, it will be done to you. In the New Testament, the language is a little different. It's not just day of the Lord kind of language, but it is judgment language. Acts 17, 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We know that Jesus is going to be the one judging because God raised him from the dead. He has the divine seal of approval. Of course, he is divine. But we needed to know that he was the real deal. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Hey, that's God's job, not yours, not mine. So withhold the judgment. Let him judge. That doesn't mean, by the way, don't discriminate. You ought to be discriminating in some ways. You ought to be able to say, hey, this person is not very good with keeping secrets. I'm not going to tell them any secrets. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing to say, this person keeps running amok all over me and my family. I'm going to draw some boundaries and not let them cross those boundaries. That's a good thing to do. This guy right here keeps running over my cats. I think I'm going to keep my cats inside. Yeah, that's a good thing to do. We cannot allow... Those kinds of things to keep going on unchecked. But in, in terms of judgment, we still need to be judged. We're still under judgment. Not in the sense that God's going to punish us for our sins, but in the sense that God's still having to work with the sin in us. Get rid of it. 
cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an ongoing process. And since that's still going on in us, we don't have the right to sit and judge. Because most likely, when we judge, we can look in the mirror and make the same pronouncement. Don't judge before the time. What's the time? Before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. You know why God can judge? Because he sees it all. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. God will take care of it in due time. 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Notice he doesn't say, for they must all appear. He says we. It's all of us. By the way, he's writing to the church. Keep that in mind. 2 Timothy 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. You know what the very next words he says is? Anybody know? Preach the word. The very next thing he says is, in light of the fact that God is there, that God is present, and Christ Jesus is coming to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, in light of the fact that God reigns over all and there is a coming judgment, preach the word. Be faithful to your calling. That ought to be true of every single one of us. We know judgment is coming. We need to be ready. And then there is probably the most extensive passage we have on what this judgment looks like. And it's in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about the end times. He's talking about uh, all kinds of things. He's actually talking about it from Matthew 24. He gives a parable of uh, uh, the the ten virgins who are five of them. They run five of them run out of oil because they weren't prepared. And while they're going to get more oil, the bridegroom uh, representative comes and they get taken into the house and they're celebrating the party, but the others are locked out because they weren't ready. He talks about the talents. Guy's going on a journey and he gives five talents to one servant and two talents to another servant and one talent to another servant. And the five, um, the, when he comes back, he comes back unexpectedly and he says, all right, show me what you did. The one with five talents comes before him and says, I made you five more. Well done, good and faithful servant. And the one with two talents says, I made you two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. One, one talent comes back and says, well, see, what had happened was... I was afraid of you, so I buried it. Here's your talent back. And, and he says, you could have at least put it in the bank and gotten interest. And then he talks about the final judgment. He talks about being ready. He talks about um, doing uh, to whom much is given, much is required. In other words, I, I, I don't give you a lot, but I do expect you to do something with it. Or I give you a lot, I expect you to do a lot with it. He's not expecting the man with one talent to come back with five more. He's not expecting the man with five talents to come back with one more. His expectations are reasonable, but to whom much is given, much is required. God's given us everything we need, and if we're not using it, we're faithless servants. And then he says, when the Son of Man comes in glory, and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne I think that throne is probably much more glorious with him in it than with him out of it. I think he's the one making it a glorious throne. Probably a nice throne anyway, but then he sits in it and it's glorious. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Hey, God's been working on this plan for quite a while. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one and least of these brothers, you did it to me. Do you you see what he's getting at here? This is a judgment based on works. And it's sure. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. Notice what he's not saying here. He's not saying you were ugly. He's not saying you were you were not good looking. He's not saying you weren't special enough. What's he saying? What he's saying here is you had the opportunity and you didn't. You had the opportunity to feed. I was hungry and you gave me no food. Not you had no food to give, but you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. You had plenty of water, but you didn't you didn't offer it. I even asked for it. You saw the need, and yet you responded with a cold heart. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. You did not. You did not. You did not. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? When, when, did, we, when did we see you in need and didn't minister? I bet a lot of these folks are saying, but I did minister. I, I did. I was in church three times a week. I was even in church when the church wasn't open. I came to the church on nights we didn't have church. I can picture some folks saying, but but God, you should have seen. I mean, I had, I had all kinds of great stuff. I did all kinds of things. I participated in all kinds of activities. I taught all kinds of classes. I did all kinds of stuff for you. I put all kinds of money in the offering plate. I did everything for you. When did we not minister to you? When did we not serve you? They go down the list of thing after thing after thing after thing that they did. And yet notice what he says. Truly I say to you is you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. It's a judgment based on works, y'all. Works that we ought to be doing in light of what God's done for us works that are the working out of our faith. And these, it says, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Judgment's real. That's the doctrine of last things. It's not just the doctrine that everything's coming to an end. It's the doctrine that eternity lasts a whole lot longer than this life, and we better be ready. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would be ready, not just to meet our Maker, but to live with him. Father, transform our hearts to be more like you. Give us the wisdom of what to do to fulfill your word. And God, if we've been neglecting you, not doing the things we should be doing, pray that you would reveal that to us and that you would turn our hearts back to you. Restore to us that first love that we may honor you, that we may serve you, that we may love you enough to love others. Help us to be salt and light. 
to a world that's flavorless and dark, so that in those end days, when you bring all things to their final consummation, we may bring the glory and honor to your name that you deserve and bring lots of folks with us too. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Help us live in life. In Jesus' name, amen.